John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? There was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So God, once again, we ask that you guard our minds and, and you lift our distractions from us, from the, the weak, and that you'd help us just look real intently on the words here of the page and consider them and be our teacher, God, help us to learn from this passage and help us to grow to understand you, Jesus, understand ourselves, help us to uh, grow and to be more like you, help us to be strengthened in our own faith because of what we see here on the very word of God. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, here Jesus is at chapter 7, verse 1. It's the time of the, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the great feasts in Israel. It's one of the three major feasts, uh, Passover and the, the, that time, and the Feast of Pentecost, and then here the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, be in the fall of the year, September, October, where uh, Passover is in the spring of the year. Uh, the celebration following Passover is a, is a celebration of the harvest, the spring harvest. But then this celebration in the fall of the year is a celebration of the fall harvest. So there's a, a lot of excitement about going to Jerusalem. There's interest in going to Jerusalem, of course. And so his brothers are on that and have that mindset that they will go to Jerusalem. First thing that we see here in the passage is that Jesus actually had siblings, half-brothers, half-sisters. And uh, they are the ones putting some, some pressure on Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Of his brothers, two of the books in the New Testament were written by his brothers. James, the book of James. James was one of his brothers. And the book of Jude uh, was written by one of his brothers. Judas or Jude is the name of, of that man. Uh, but here we're specifically told that his brothers 
did not believe. Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. And not even is kind of interesting because as we finished chapter 6, we saw that the people were moving away from Jesus. They, a lot of the people would be disciples were moving away. They weren't interested in what Jesus was really having to say. They're moving away. Well, here, now John says, even his brothers, uh, they, they, they didn't believe in him. Not even them, as close as they were. It's a good reminder for us at this point to, to consider, to think about the Gospel of John, all of the, the, the New Testament, all of the Bible for that matter. For us to understand it the way we ought to. Very simple principle. The entire orientation is to God. Now that doesn't strike you as being very new. The whole orientation is to God. But we are apt to think in terms of oriented towards cultural demands, political demands, economic demands, oriented towards thinking like, well, how do I measure up to that person across the street? Or how does my family or me personally, how do I measure up with those people across town? The whole orientation in the Bible is oriented to God. How are we interacting with the world? How are we living our life in relationship, in orientation to God? In other words, what does God think is right? What does God think is proper? And it's not what I think or what that person thinks, or this group of people think, it's what God thinks. We all oftentimes move and we, we slip off of that and it becomes difficult for us to understand what the scriptures here are, are teaching. So, orientation is to God and what God desires and what God demands and not what human beings are demanding. And we see that in Jesus, that he's very loyal to that. We'll see that here in a, in a few moments. So, John jumps right out of chapter 6 and moves right into this Feast of Tabernacles going to Jerusalem. But there's actually about six months that have passed since the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7. The Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, recount the travels of Jesus, His miracles, the healings, Casting out demons. But John is on a, a different kind of mission. That history has been told. He doesn't retell it. He's going straight to Jerusalem. John is going to put a lot of emphasis on what happens in, in Jerusalem. But it's good for us to remember that Jesus has had quite a ministry in Galilee. He's been circulating and word has spread about Jesus even more. He's been presenting himself as the Messiah, and he's backed that claim up with these miracles and these wondrous works. Now, the time comes for the feast. And one of the, this is, as I said, one of the three feasts that uh, was celebrated uh, by uh, people in Jerusalem. There's actually seven feasts, but three primary feasts, and all males who 
are naturally born in Israel were required to go to these three feasts. So it was a big deal to go to the feast. And the brothers are telling Jesus, hey, why don't you go? Now the attitude of the brothers is that, well, all of these people are leaving. Look at all of the people that are leaving. We see that in chapter 6. They're leaving and not following you like we think that they should. And they're going to surely go to Jerusalem because this is a required feast and it's a big celebration. A lot of people want to go there. So why don't you go to Jerusalem and maybe you'll get some of your disciples back? The way they say it is, uh, no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourselves to the world. So show it to the world, the whole assembled world, the, the most important religious city in the world, Jerusalem, the whole world, religiously conscious people will come to Jerusalem. Go show yourself there. And Jesus talks about his time. My time, verse 6, Jesus says, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. One thing we can see about Jesus is that he did not needlessly expose himself or his mission to danger despite cultural pressures, family pressures. This is his family putting pressure on him to go now, to go with them. And he doesn't he doesn't needlessly expose himself to that. He's on God's plan. He's on God's time. Not on their time. Not on some preconceived notion of what the right time ought to be. He's on God's time. So he, he doesn't just step out and say, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll go. My brothers are going. Everybody else is going. I'll go along with them. He says his time had not yet come. Not yet fully come. We know that he went to Jerusalem. That's, it's included here in the scriptures. Jesus went. He, he, God wanted, the Father wanted him to go to Jerusalem to, uh, as part of his, his mission. But it wasn't at that moment. After saying this, he remained in Galilee until it was God's time. So he didn't move according to what others thought ought to be done. He moved according to God's plan. What a lesson for us. He didn't needlessly expose himself. Step out. Everybody else is doing this. This is the pressure. This is where we ought to go. Let's, let's do this. Do it now. Do it now. And Jesus says, well, go ahead. Not for me. Not my time now. That, if he had gone with his brothers, the timing would not have been the Father's timing. And he would have needlessly improperly exposed himself to the Jewish religious leaders who were wanting to kill him. Remember chapter 5, Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he heals this man, he heals on the Sabbath, just really infuriates the religious leaders. By this time, by chapter 7, they want to kill him. They, they want to do away with him. Well, Jesus isn't running, he's, he's, he's not fearful of dying. He's not fearful of the, the Jews and their, their accusations against him, but he is loyal to the timing of God and not needlessly exposing himself, putting himself in a place that would compromise his mission. He didn't want to get killed. We'll put it this way. He's six months away from 
Passion Week, here at this feast, and that is the time that he will go to the cross. It's not God's time to be stoned, to, to be killed in Jerusalem at this feast. It's at another time. And so Jesus will not needlessly expose himself to uh, those dangers. Well, we also notice something. We're reminded of this. We've already thought about this some. But here's his brothers. And his brothers are not believers, according to the Apostle John. For not even his brothers believed in him. In verse 3, his brothers said, Leave here and go to Judea that that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. That your disciples, the ones that have been leaving him, they're going to go to Jerusalem and be, be living properly, religiously, go to Jerusalem for this feast. That, that's a really important word, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. They're pragmatists. This is what will work. <laughs> Everybody knows that you ought to by now have a big crowd around and it didn't work in that way. So pragmatically, what would work is if you went to Jerusalem and displayed yourselves there because surely all of these people that have left and, and some more likely will come to follow you and they'll see who you are. So go there and do your thing. <laughs> They're trying to be pragmatic, but Jesus won't have any of that. He's on, a, he's on a mission. They want him to win back some of these lost people, people that have moved away. But Jesus says, my time has not yet come. Your time is always here. What we're reminded of, once again, is this spiritual privilege in an environment don't ensure that a person is or will become a Christian now it seems plainly obvious on the one hand but these brothers they were they were in the family of Jesus they were born to Mary and Joseph they were his half siblings they're in his very close circle of influence, they've seen what he's been doing. They, they've seen, they saw him for 30 years and were not impressed with their brother probably. And they carry that being unimpressed into when he is doing all of this work, they still cannot believe it. Can you put yourself in their position? <laughs> God, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Now, Jesus never sinned. So that's a miraculous how he could as a, as a young boy and as a teenager and as a, as a young man. That must have really blown their, their mind too. But here they are as close as a person can get to Jesus and they're not believers. It's just a reminder once again that environment, background, spiritual privilege, these kind of exposures that people have to to Jesus do not ensure, they do not guarantee 
faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul writes this, Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So Paul says to examine ourselves. Everyone, all of us. Time to time examine ourselves to see if we really truly are in the faith. And these brothers, of course, were, were not. Examine ourselves. I know some of you are familiar with the term assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. Being assured of your salvation. Do you have assurance of salvation? And why would you have assurance of your salvation? I mean, somewhere, somewhere along the line, someone may have said, we ought to believe that <laughs> for some. Uh, may have heard the phrase, once saved, always saved, that kind of, kind of thing. But what's the meat? Assurance of salvation. There are several points in Scripture that give us that assurance, that, that teach us assurance. Jesus saying He'll never let those that are in His grip out of His hands. But another one is, Chapter 6. All that we looked at in chapter 6, that long chapter, that's assurance. God working in that way in a person's life assures us of our salvation. But nonetheless, the Apostle Paul is fully aware of that too. Nonetheless, the Apostle says to examine ourselves to make sure that we're actually in the faith and not presuming upon God just because we know a lot of religious things or that we have the, the, the spiritual uh, privilege or environment that might indicate that we're in the faith. Do some self-examination. Well, Christ... We see here, and we learn from many places, is hated by the world. It's helpful to re remind ourselves once again when reading the Apostle John what he means by the world. Simply, John means everything that's opposed to Christ. Everything that is opposed to the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Everything that is opposed to the centrality of Jesus Christ in every walk, every endeavor of life. That could be an individual, it could be a system, it could be a worldview. Whatever it is, it, it, all of that opposition to Christ, and for the Apostle John, he, that's, that's most of humanity, is <laughs> the world. Most of humanity is in opposition, in opposition to God. But Christ, His true nature, His light, His true nature, His true purposes, His true message, the truth of Christ is hated by the world because it exposes some things. It exposes ungodliness. It exposes sin right, right off. The truth of Jesus, His life exposes sin. In all people, it exposes this is 
God's perfection. I'm not that. There's sin in my life. There's sin that needs to be dealt. It exposes. Light exposes sin. And that's a, that's a threat. That's a, that's a threat to what we thought, what we were secure in about ourselves. Jesus Christ threatens people. Jesus threatens nations, cultures, people, religions, ideologies. He threatens ungodliness because of who He is, the light that He shines. That the Scriptures teach us, we'll see later in the Gospel of John, they couldn't find any sin in Jesus. They, they look, the religious leaders look. His light comes. He shines on the ungodliness of the world and shows individuals and people, groups of people, that we are not up to what God demands, not what God expects. And that, as I say, is a threat and people don't like that. He exposes hypocrisy, religious hypocrisy. Here are these Jews, religious leaders, as John calls them, the Jews. They are in Jerusalem and they've got all of the forms. They've got all of the rituals. They've got all of, of the groups, the small groups. All of that's organized. And Jesus comes in and says, this is not what God intended. He exposes hypocrisy among religions, religious systems, and that's a threat. I don't want any of that. Don't want anything to do with that. It ex exposes self-righteousness. Well, I thought I was doing pretty good in the eyes of God. Remember what I said a few moments ago. All of the scriptures, the orientation is to God. What is my standing in the eyes of God. It's not what is my standing according to so-and-so across the street. I know I'm repeating, but it's not according to what that stand. The question is, what is my sta standing before God? And every human being, we naturally come by the idea that, well, I, I'm not perfect. Of course, nobody is. <laughs> but, I'm okay, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as those people. But we're not, again, not comparing to those people according to God's standard. And Jesus comes along and says, well, none of you measure up to God's standard. And that's a major problem. No one measures up. So the world hates Jesus. Does not want to hear that. You might mean my religious forms don't measure up. I meant them really sincerely. Jesus exposes them. You mean all of my religious service doesn't, doesn't count? Jesus exposes them. But there's a lot of religious service that is in truth, but there is an abundance that is not in truth. He exposes ungodliness. So the Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uses that word hate. The world hates Jesus. Verse 7, the world cannot hate you. Why can the world not hate his brothers? Because they're like kind. 
The world doesn't hate them. It's like kind. There's differences in personality, of course, but, he, but they're of like kind. They're, they don't have God at the center of their thinking. They're, not, it, oh, they're going to the festival, for sure, but it's not an allegiance to God's Messiah. You're of the world. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So we have three words here, really. World. We have to understand how the Apostle John thinks and he uses the word world. All that is in opposition and hostile to God. That's why it's so amazing, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. If we could fill in that, we thought, God so loved all that was hostile to Him, all that hated Him, with all that was in opposition that He sent His only Son. The world, then he, that word hate, that's the second one, What's, what does that mean? That, that means that a deep, deep, deep rejection of the demands of God, really the holiness of God, demanding the demands of holiness, the demands of righteous living, right thinking, right, react, right uh, interaction in our relationships with personally and with, with God. Just that deep hatred, rejection of that, that holiness that God demands. So world, hate, and then evil. Now, evil is interesting because the word evil, evil itself is not interesting. But evil, the word, is interesting. Because we think whatever comes to our mind, some ugly thing, some ugly thing, that's evil. Jesus can say the world hates him because he testifies that its works are evil. Well, that's one of the reasons the world hates Jesus. <laughs> Testifying that their works are evil. Evil, briefly, is opposition to God. Stern, vigorous opposition to God. The ways of God. The thinking of God. It also can be indifference, but, but vigorous indifference. <laughs> Some of us have been there before. We're very vigorous in our indifference about Jesus and the things of God. But anything that is not in line with God, His purposes, His wisdom, His will, His character is evil. So it, it, we have to get these words in our mind. We have to get that one in our mind because... The Apostle John comes along and says something like this. Uh, Jesus coming along and saying this. It hates me because I testified it, testify that its works are evil. We wonder why there's disruptions and uncertainty and chaos perhaps around us. Depending on where we are. Well one way we can answer that is... Because its works are evil. It, its works come under the authority and the domain of a different master. 
evil against, against God, against Jesus Christ, against the, the, the Messiah, against His truth, against His message. All that we looked at in chapter 6, all that we've seen from the beginning of chapter 1 in John, the world stands opposed. The Word, the Word became flesh. Exclusivity, singularity, dominating influence, every domination in the family, domination in the workplace, domination in career, domination in preaching, domination in everything. He's Lord. The world don't have any of that. And that opposition is evil. The world, the world hates Jesus because Jesus comes on the scene, shines light into the darkness, and the darkness does not want any of that light. John's already told us that in chapter 1. Preference for darkness over light. So, Jesus exposes these things. His true nature, His true purposes, His true message, His light is hated. So we want to find ourselves in a different place, of course, as disciples being led by God to a different place. Well, this popularity with the world can cause a great concern for us. It says in verse 4, For no one works in secret. His brothers are urging him. Urging him. Jesus says, My time has not yet come. Verse 6, But your time is here. Your time. You are just like everyone else. You're indifferent to me and you don't believe in who I am. So your time, you can always... You can always go to Jerusalem. You can always, your time's always available. My time is not quite here. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast. Verse 7. The world cannot hate you. But it hates me. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. They can go. And it's their time. But it hates Jesus. All the what we've thought about here for the last few moments. The world hates Jesus because of His allegiance to the Father, allegiance to His mission. And the world's going to hate those who likewise have that allegiance. John 15, 18 to 19 says, If the world hates you, Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me. We understand what hate means now as it's used here. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. You know, for those who claim to be disciples of Jesus, those who are, are 
making that pronouncement to, to be liked too much by the world, to have too much popularity with the world, now that would be a, a place of concern. Since it openly, the world openly hates the things of Jesus. Unapologetically hates the things of Jesus. So when the, the world looks upon an individual with great praise, great honor on what they stand for, who they, who they are, Well, we just have to pause, don't we? We have to go back to the Apostle Paul and maybe want to examine ourselves. Is that, is that really a, is that a good thing? We're not talking about merely an a, a achievement award and maybe a, a work or profession or something like that, some recognition. But when the world, it looks so glowingly on this person, this is, look how, how we like this person and gathers around them and lifts them up and, and have, give them a person place of privilege in, in the world. They weren't doing that to Jesus. They lifted him up on a cross. Jesus also says that if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its, as its own. So, that can be an encouragement and a warning at the same time. If there are those that are having difficulty with you because of the stand that you're taking because of your faith and because of the name of Jesus. Now, a lot of people take stands for a lot of things. You know that. Well, they might find hardship because of that stand that they're taking. But we're talking here, what Jesus is talking about here is a stand for the name of Jesus. If they don't like you for that, that might be a pretty good place to be. If, on the other hand, a person's going along and they're quite the religionists, and the world has great accolades on them, showering them, encircling them as a, as a model, that might not be what it looks to be. Paul says to examine ourselves. Could be a warning on the one hand. Could be a warning in the sense, well, we can almost hear the Spirit asking, well, why are you so popular? Well, why are you doing so well in the world? Could be that kind of a warning. And then on the other hand, it could be an encouragement. Hang in there. Hang tough. Don't give up. Hang in there. Because the world, the world that you operate in, hates everything concerning Jesus. Hang on to that. Hang on to that. A lot of disruptions in the times that we live in. Easy to pass over it. Easy to pass over it. A lot of things being disrupted. 
lot of things being disrupted. More to come. More to come. When you stand for the name of Jesus, remember this passage. Who Jesus is, how the world reacted and treated Him. Our time will come. So, Jesus, He, he acts uh, according to the, the will of God. He, he has a determination, as we've already thought about, as the, the brothers, they're trying to encourage Him to go to Jerusalem. But He's determined to act according to God's timeline. And let's think about how that, that works, how that shapes some qualities in Jesus' life that maybe can help us to act and not move uh, according to our own timeline, but to be able to wait, to wait on God. I don't know if any of you have ever have had that experience. You jump out there too quickly, and you wish you hadn't got out there too quickly. Wish you had waited. Well, the first thing we can think about Jesus is His eternal life mindset, His eternal mindset, His personal communion with the Father, commun personal communion with God, His eternal mindset. You and I need to continually, continually have an eternal mindset, not just today, not just next week, not just next month, eternity in mind. Jesus, Jesus has this mindset that God's, God's working and there's things that are eternal that are at stake and He's not going to waver off of that. He is committed. Jesus is committed to glorifying God and He, he is, is determined to glorify God, to honor God with His life, to praise God. Are, are we, we have to ask ourselves, examining ourselves, being determined, being determined to Glorify God. Yeah, that's what he was determined with in his life. He, he had that kind of commitment. He had resolve. He had, he had resolve that he was boldly going to stand for the truth of God. He was bold, bold not the truth of Caesar. Not the truth of Caiaphas. Not the truth of the Sanhedrin. Not, not, not the, the truth of the Essenes. Or some other group. The truth of God. He was resolved that he was going to, to, to do that. So when, he's at, when he has that eternal perspective, when he has this kind of commitment, when he has this kind of resolve, it becomes easier to wait on God. He's also submitted. He's in submission to God's mission for him. He knows that he, God has given him a mission and he's under that su submission. He's willing to live for it. Do you know God's mission for you? Surely you know part of your mission. What is, what is, what is God laid upon you as far as your, your mission? Your life's mission. Your life's purpose. He was committed to his mission. All built in and with, with glorifying God and honoring God and standing and declaring the truth of God, even though the world hated him, having eternal life in, in his mind. He, he had a, a refusal about him that he was not going to de, de, uh, bend. He was not going to bend 
to the demands of the world. Even, even his brothers, he's not going to, he's not going to bend it to them as persuasive as they probably could be. And there's, they're probably gouging him a little bit, knowing him a little bit too well, and kind of trying to push him along. He's not going to bend. He's not going to bend in Jerusalem, and he doesn't bend to the crowds. He's, he's, he refuses to take popular opinion, take worldly assumptions, and let those guide him. They, they say, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may see what you're doing. They're pragmatists. He's refusing to be a pragmatist. He's got himself rooted. Yeah, this is what everybody does. Yes, this is what religious leaders normally do. <laughs> but not Jesus. He's, he's got a, a, a timeline. He's, he's going to operate along God's time. And it's going to be according to the will of God. He is refusing to bend under these pressures. And here we go. Jesus has confidence that God will lead him. That God will work in his life. And don't we suffer from a lack of confidence sometimes? In our, in our, in our weakness. That's why we have to pray for God's strengthening. In our, in our weakness, sometimes, some of us get a little weak in our confidence that he's going to show up. And, and, and that he's going, going to, to work. Well, Jesus was confident that God would lead him. Absolute, rock-solid confidence that God would lead him. Well, that was Jesus. That's not me. That's Jesus. Well, God is setting Jesus here and commanding us to grow into greater Christ-likeness. This is, this is areas in which we can pray for growth, all of these. Confidence that God will actually lead him, and then he's actually willing. He's actually willing to wait. And he's willing to suffer the costs of waiting. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we could be more like Jesus and, and wait to move out, make, wait to move, make our decisions, make, wait in our actions until God's timing. Well, that's more difficult to actually live out than talk about. Right? But I think these points here can help us Am I having an eternal mindset? Am I keeping eternity in my mind? Am I keeping the purposes of God in my mind? Am I, do I have a commitment to glorify God? I want to glorify God with my life. There's a lot of questions, things. I'm not seeing things real clear, God, but I, 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 I'm going to glorify you with my life. I'm resolved. I'm, I'm rooted. I, I, I'm determined. I'm going to speak for truth. I'm going to live for truth. I don't want to waver. I don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want, want to get weak as far as your doctrine, your, your teaching your, is concerned. 
And, and, and am, I, am I willing to submit if God tells me, like, now's the time to move? But I didn't. You mean there? I was thinking over here. Uh, am I willing to submit to, to that? Is, is there that willingness of, of submission? Because some, honestly, sometimes we're not. If God reveals His will or His timing, as long as it's in our direction that we think it... Are we willing to refuse the pressures of the world that say, this is the way you ought to act. This is the way you ought to behave. Uh, this is what works. This is pragmatic. Uh, do we have confidence? Do we have confidence in God? Each one of these is a great prayer point. A great prayer point. Give us confidence. Give us com greater confidence in you. I don't believe it's being heretical to say, God, I get weak. I need you to come and strengthen me in my confidence in you. I'm not denying God in, in that. I'm just saying I get weak as far as my confidence. Give me strength and my, my willingness to wait and to hear from you and to listen to you. Not your audible voice, perhaps, but in, you're speaking to me through your, your word, your, your impression. You're, you're moving me through your word. And what, what's being said from those that are around me that are Christians that are striving for the same thing? What are they saying? And a, a willingness to, to wait until we hear. I think some of these not all of these will help us to act according to God's will and His direction and according to His timing. Jesus does go to Jerusalem. It says in verse 13, there's a verse 12 actually, a lot of conversation, a lot of muttering going on about Jesus. The Jews were looking for Him, verse 11. Trying to angle and come up with some sort of plan to do away with, with Jesus. A lot of intrigue going on in, in Jerusalem. And it says in verse 13, Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of Him. There's the issue in Jerusalem. Of Him. The Apostle John, it's not a matter of people whether or not they would speak openly about their religion or openly about Caesar or openly about their latest travel adventures, whether they would speak openly about Jesus. And they had been stricken with fear. No one would speak openly about him. We'll consider that and what's going on in Jerusalem next week. Let's pray.